Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here. So listen, the summer of 1998 was transformational in my life for a couple different reasons. One of those was that was the year at 20 that I really began to get my heart right with God and began to redirect my attention towards what God wanted in my life. But the summer of 1998 was also the summer that I slept beside Lionel Richie um, every night of the night, every night of the summer. You're like, what do you, what do you mean you slept beside Lionel Richie? So um, summer of 1998 was the summer that uh, several of my teammates and I stayed behind at Liberty University to kind of train and work with the coaches all summer long and we weren't allowed to stay in the dorms, so we had to find an apartment off campus, and we subletted an apartment from some musical theater guys in the bedroom that I was in, had this poster over top of my bed, um, like six feet, <laughs> six feet long, um, literally like right, right on top of my bed. Now, it's not the one I would have had in my room, but like I, like I, I work with it, um, so like every night when I went to bed, I was like, like hey, Lionel, um, like good night. So um, I hung out with him all summer 1998. We're going we're gonna to use him today a little bit because I think, he, um, I think one of his songs is going to help us remember something really important spiritually that we're going to learn today from um, John chapter 3. And I'm hoping that you know it. Uh, when I did my message run through on Thursday, no one under the age of like 30 knew the song and could sing it with me. Pastor Ryan was in here, so he had to sing loud. He was the only one who knew it. But like, I'm hoping there are maybe not some Lionel Richie fans, but just some like humans who listen to the radio like in the 80s and 90s. Who can, who can help me? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a song, and then you're going you're gonna, to help me, okay? Here, here's one of my, fi- my favorite Lionel Richie songs. Say you. Say it for always. Right? Like, that's the way it should be. Say you. So glad there's so many old people in the room today. Like, above the age of 30. Say it together. Like, naturally. So we're going to take that song today, and you're going to be singing it in your head all day long. But we're going to ch- slightly change the words to see you, see me, see us together. Because that is the message of John chapter 3. If you have your Bible, John chapter 3 is where we're going to hang out today. If you got a worship guide when you walked in, there are some notes in there that you can uh, follow along with. If you have a smartphone, you can download our Journey Church International app, and that will help you follow along. For those of you who are watching at home, thanks for hanging out with us today. John chapter 3, and we're going to try to see you, see me, see us together. We also want to, at the beginning of this message, see KC. Like, we want to see our city. So here's our city, according to the latest research done on the emotional health of Kansas City in the fall of 2021. 71% stressed, 62% anxious, 53% burned out, 47% lonely, 46% depressed. So the Barna Research Group said this is a picture, this is a snapshot of how our city is doing emotionally as 2020 and 2021 come to an end. The last statistic that's not on the screen is this. 60% of those surveyed said that we think the church can help us with these issues. So I got sent this in an email from the Barna Research Group on October 12th, and as I read it, I had literally two emotions. My first emotion is my heart went out to our city, because like you, I'm married, I live in Kansas City, I've got a son in college, I've got a daughter in high school, and the last two years were crazy, and it doesn't feel like maybe they're over yet as we've walked through, like into 2022 and into January. It's like, holy cow, like are we, like, are we still in this thing? So like, I, I was burdened for my family, my neighbors, our church. But then I was hopeful because I thought these people are hurting, but they think Jesus can help them. And it's the first time that this phrase, maybe Jesus, kind of popped into my vernacular because as I began to share these stats with our church, I said, listen, our city's hurting, 
but, but they think maybe Jesus can help them. How do we connect the hurt of our city with the hope of Jesus? And we plan to make January 2022 a month where hurting people could connect with hope through Jesus. So this month is all about helping burned out, stressed out, lonely, depressed people find hope in Jesus through looking at stories of people in the Bible who came to Jesus and said, maybe you can help me. Last week we looked at Mary. Today we're going to meet a man named Nicodemus. But this month is all about hope. We end this month, Sunday, January 30th, talking to a family named the Barracks, a family of four who 16 years ago on their way home from church were run over by a drunk driver. None of them should have made it. They all did. Their daughter Jen, now in her 30s, had a traumatic brain injury that radically altered who she is and how she does life. But their story is about how they found hope in the midst of the worst chaos ever. And their ministry is called Hope Out Loud. And he said, here's the reason that our ministry and our family exist. We want to go to churches and we want to talk to people who've been run over by something in life and they don't think they can get up. We want to help them understand they can. So if you have someone in your life who's been run over by something and they've not been able to get back up, bring them on January 30th. Maybe they'll find hope in Jesus by hearing this story from the Barrick family. Our church also exists for you to find friendship community and spiritual care. Last week, I introduced you to our spiritual care team members all across our auditorium so you could know how we could care for you on Sundays. But the primary spiritual community and care of our church does not happen on Sunday morning. For our church to work for you, for you to become a disciple who makes disciples, and for you to have great friendships at church, it's not going to happen just coming to church on Sunday morning. You're going to have to be involved in our discipleship groups. You're going to have to get engaged in serving. So we're going to kick off our spiritual care and community this year on Sunday night, January 30th. The Barracks will be back to share a little bit more of their story. But Sunday, January 30th is designed to help you find two things. One, your spiritual community. Who's going to be your people at Journey? How are you going to get discipled at Journey? And figuring out what area you can serve in. So I'm going to ask all of you to come back that night at 6 p.m. The AFC Championship game that day is at 2.30. So Lord willing, we'll be celebrating a third Super Bowl in a row that night um, in red. And we're going to kind of have a part. So the Bears are going to share their story. It's going to be very much like our dedication service with popcorn and food in the foyer. And like we'll just kind of hang out afterward games for you and the kids. But this is going to be a night. If you're looking for spiritual friendship, if you're looking for discipleship, if you're looking for a place to have impact, you got to come Sunday night, January 30th. If you don't want to wait till then, today in our atrium, we've got our discipleship tracks display set up. If you're like, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to learn spiritually in 2022, check out that display in the Connection Center. People will help you understand where you need to plug in. And you're like, I don't know where I need to go spiritually. Go to growth track next week. Because growth track step four is designed to give you a spiritual assessment where after you take it at the end of it, they'll say where you are in your spiritual journey. This year you need Jesus or this year you need scripture. This year you really should focus on leadership or this year you should focus on this area of your life. So if you're like, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go spiritually in 2022, go to growth track next week at 1030. um, And by the end of that, you'll have your spiritual direction for where you need to go. Um, it's going to be a great year of ministry. I pray that today's a great day of ministry. In John chapter 3, before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. So would you pray with me here? And if you're watching at home, would you bow your heads quickly? Would you take a deep breath? Just kind of settle your soul into this moment. And ask God to speak to your heart and tell him you'll be listening. God, that's our prayer this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts, like right where we are. Help us to listen and then apply what we learn in our walk with Jesus. Show us Jesus more clearly today. Show us ourselves more clearly today. 
so that we might have a better understanding of the gospel, who you are, who we are, and how you work in our life. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. So last week in our kind of Maybe Jesus series, we met a gal named Mary. And Mary went to Jesus and said, like, maybe you can help me. And we saw Jesus help her. Today, we're going to meet a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is going to help us see you, see me, see us together. going to help us see God, see us, and see us together. The first part of that is going to be the importance of seeing Jesus, number one. Like, as we begin to study the story of Nicodemus, we need to understand the importance of seeing who Jesus is. Because Nicodemus begins his story with Jesus by basically saying, hey, I see you, Jesus I see you and I see what you are doing. Last week we met Mary who was like, do whatever Jesus says. I think probably his advice is better than anything we can come up with on our own. Today, Nicodemus is going to have his own kind of maybe Jesus moment. And here's going to be the maybe Jesus moment of Nicodemus. He's going to come up to Jesus and say, hey, is it possible that you are God's savior? Is it possible... Like you're the one we should be looking for. So the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were all looking for the Messiah. The the Messiah is a Hebrew word for Savior. The Greek word for Savior is Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus is Savior. The English word is Savior. So to put it in our language, Nicodemus is basically coming to Jesus saying, hey, like, is it possible that that you're the guy? Like, are are you the one we should be looking for? Are you, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the guy? I left our fifth Christmas service uh, this year and had, uh, last, last December and had like one of my favorite moments of the Christmas season as I was walking across the atrium to go kind of celebrate the end of the year with our staff. I ran into a family and one of their kids, their young kids, seven or eight years old, was kind of standing by the Christmas tree out there and he had a, like a Bible and a notebook and a pen and it was kind of all falling out of his hands and he yelled at me. He's like, hey, Pastor Christian. So I like stopped. Michelle's already laughing because you were, you were with me, weren't you? Hey, hey, Pastor Christian. Like, yeah. So I went over and he's got all this stuff. Um, and he said, have you ever given an autograph? And I was like, well, not a lot, but um, yeah. So he said, so you signed your name on something? Yeah, I've signed my name on something. And he's like, have you ever signed like a notebook or a Bible like that? And I said, like, not a lot, but yes, I've done that. And he had this notebook with, that was open that had like all these what looked like autographs in it and a pen. So he kind of looked at me and looked at his mom and dad, looked at me and I was like, do you, like, do you want me to sign your notebook? And he said, of course not. Um, I want to show you, I want to show you how I've been practicing my autograph. It was like the greatest moment ever. They were all his name signed a little differently. It's like, you want me to sign? It's like, of course I don't want you to sign this. You are not the guy that I'm looking for. I just want to show you what I'm doing. The dad and I died laughing, Michelle died laughing, the mother was mortified. It was like, no, 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 like, Merry Christmas to me, thank you for that moment. It's good every now and then to be reminded. You're not the guy that I'm looking for. Jesus was the guy that Nicodemus was looking for. And in John chapter 3, we begin to unpack this conversation. We're going to walk through the conversation slowly today. So if you have a Bible, keep it open. Keep your pen ready to kind of underline because we'll talk through some things. Um, if you don't have a Bible, all the scriptures on the screen will be easy to follow along. He said, now there was a Pharisee, by the way, if there's ever a word on the screen in yellow, circle to underline it in your Bible, because I'm going to come back and talk about it. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because nobody could perform the signs that you were doing if God weren't with him. So you have to, for those of you who are like kind of Bible nerds like me, you're going to have to listen to the Activate podcast this week because there's too much on the screen in yellow for me to unpack. So Pastor Ryan and I take the bulk 
of the podcast to kind of explain a little more in depth. I'll give you just kind of the Cliff Notes version. So the Pharisees were spiritual leaders in Israel. Um, They made spiritual laws. They taught spiritual laws. They enforced spiritual laws. They were a pretty big deal. Nicodemus was one of those. He also served on the ruling council. The ruling council was a combination in our American minds of the Congress, the Senate, and the Supreme Court. They not only made, but they talked about how to enforce religious laws and figured out how they should be enforced and when they should be enforced. There were 70 of them. They were a pretty big deal. Nicodemus was one of those guys. The fact that he called Jesus rabbi is huge. Because for this highly educated Pharisee who served on the ruling council spiritually in Israel to refer to an uneducated rabbi, teacher from Galilee as rabbi, who he knew did not have any formal training in the schools of Jerusalem. This is a big deal for a Pharisee who was on the ruling council to say, to call Jesus rabbi because it was basically acknowledging you like you are a teacher. And then he says to him, he he gives a statement that really is a question. He said, like, we've seen the signs you're performing. He basically saying to Jesus this, like, it's clear you're doing supernatural things. Are you a supernatural person? It's clear you're doing supernatural stuff. Are you a supernatural person? And he's, he's asking without asking. Here's this maybe Jesus moment. Like, are you maybe the guy? Are you like, are you maybe God's savior? Are you the one we should be looking for? Are you the one that, that, that we've been waiting on our whole life? Because I, like, I see you. Now, one of the things that our English Bible does that's a real disservice to us is it puts numbers on the pages to help us follow along a little better. John did not write John chapter 2 and then John chapter 3. He just wrote one book of John. And every now and then in Scripture, we disconnect one chapter from another. So we think, oh, John chapter 3 is all about Nicodemus. John chapter 2, which we studied last week, all about water to wine. And in in today's Bible study, really John chapter 3 doesn't make the difference it should make without John chapter 2. Because right before Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I see the signs you're doing. John tells us, by the way, Jesus didn't care about people who saw the signs that he did because that didn't mean anything spiritually to him. So like right before Nicodemus, right before we meet Nicodemus, who's like, I see the signs. John's like, here's what you need to know about Jesus. He really wasn't concerned about people who saw his signs, didn't tell him anything spiritually about him. Look at John chapter two. This is how the chapter actually ends. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, this is verse 23 at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them for he knew all people and he didn't need any testimony about mankind for he knew what he was in, what was in each person. So John's like, just side note, Jesus didn't put much credibility in people who saw his signs. And let me introduce you to one. Nicodemus was a guy like that. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, I see you. And Jesus immediately begins a conversation that says this, yeah, Nicodemus, but do you see you? I know you see me, but do you see yourself? Because salvation through Jesus is not just based on how we see Jesus. It also requires we see ourselves how Jesus sees us. So Nicodemus is like, Jesus, I see you. And Jesus is like, okay, cool. But do you see yourself? Because that's really the conversation that we need to have. And Jesus kind of moves into this conversation that you and I need to have because a clear understanding of the gospel, a clear understanding of what God has done in our life and what God wants to do in the world requires, number two, it requires the importance of seeing ourselves. It requires the importance of seeing yourself. Like Nicodemus, like, Jesus, I see you, see you. Jesus like, okay, but do you see me? Like, do you see yourself? 
A real clear understanding of the gospel means that we have to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus with this maybe Jesus moment. Hey, like, is it possible that you're God's savior? And Jesus responds with what I call his own maybe Jesus moment. Nicodemus is like, is it possible you're God's savior? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He responds this way, like, is it possible you need God's savior? That's a good question. Hey, Jesus, is it possible that you're God's savior? And Jesus is like, hmm, I don't know. Is it possible that you need God's savior? Let's talk about you before we talk about me. And he doesn't answer the question. He, he doesn't answer the question. Instead, he asks him a question. And then he said, let's have a conversation that will help you kind of answer that question. Let's continue through the text in verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born again. Jesus got like right to the point. Nicodemus is like, hey, are you God's savior? And Jesus is like, let's just cut right to it. The reason you're asking me if I'm God's savior is because if I'm God's savior, that means God's kingdom has started. And the reason you want to know that is because you want to know if you're in God's kingdom. So let's just like cut straight to the point. You're trying to figure out if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom. Here's the answer, Nicodemus, not unless you're born again. No, not unless you're born again. Which leads Nicodemus to ask a really dumb question that's brilliant. It's a dumb question if it's a physical question. It's a brilliant question if it's a spiritual question. Because here's, here is the question he's asking. He's not saying, if he's physically asking, how do, I, how do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It's like, that's the dumbest question ever. But if it's a spiritual metaphor, and the question is this, are you telling me that I have to go back to the starting line spiritually? That's a good question. That's a brilliant question spiritually, especially for a guy like Nicodemus who was almost at the end of his race. He's like, I got to go back to the be- Are you saying I have to go back to the beginning because I thought I was almost done? You see, for Nicodemus, a man like Nicodemus, he thought the race of faith that he was running kind of looked like this. The gun went off when he was born a Jewish man because the Jews were God's people. So he had a leg up on the rest of the world just because he was born Jewish. And then at his bar mitzvah, he experienced kind of this second rebirth where he became a Jewish man, which again, gives him a leg up spiritually on getting into God's kingdom. And then at 30, he becomes like a teacher of Israel. He becomes one of the Pharisees of Israel, like another rebirth moving in the right direction. And then maybe at 50, he becomes a member of the Sanhedrin. Like if anyone's in God's kingdom, he is in God's kingdom. And he's like, hey, I just want to make sure if you're God's savior, that means God's kingdom is here. Like, like, am I, am I good? And Jesus is like, you haven't even started. And Nicodemus is like, how's that possible? Like, are you telling me I've been running the wrong race spiritually my entire life? I thought I was near the end, and you're saying i got to go back and start over? And Jesus is like, you ask a kingdom question, let's go ahead and have a kingdom conversation. Look at verses 5 through 10. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Now, if you have your pen, you need to understand a very subtle but really big shift that happened between verses 3 and verse 5. 
Because in verse 3, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. There's a shift between I see the kingdom of God and I'm in the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is kind of, he's in between that shift. He's like, I clearly see it. I'm trying to figure out if I'm in it. So Jesus, am I in the kingdom of God or am I not in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is basically saying, I just told you how to get there and you missed it. And not only did you miss it as a learner, clearly you've missed it as a teacher. Because what Jesus and Nicodemus are doing here in, in ancient context is called, they're having a, an ancient midrash. You say, what is a midrash? Anytime Jewish rabbis would break down a text of scripture, or they would teach a text of scripture, or they would talk around a text of, a text of scripture, it would be called a midrash. They would be midrashim. They would literally just be talking about the interpretation of scripture. It's what we do at Bible study, but these were the guys who were trying to define what it really meant. And when Jewish rabbis would have these moments of midrash with each other, they would try to figure out which one of them was smarter. And here's what they would do. As they would talk, they would give verses of Old Testament scripture, and they would see whether you understood, where, if, if you knew where they were coming from. So basically, they would drop like verse 4, and they would wait for you to answer. And if you answered with verse 5, they would say, okay, like we're on the same page. Like, I'm dropping some scripture knowledge memory from the Old Testament, and your answer tells me you're picking it up. Jesus did that in verse 5 and 6. He was quoting Old Testament scripture, and Nicodemus missed it completely. Like he almost verbatim quoted some really important scripture from the Old Testament, and Nicodemus got to the end of his comment and basically said, like, I've never even, I've never even heard that before. And what's really, really important is Jesus was quoting from the prophet Ezekiel, and in the Old Testament, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah were the new covenant prophets. Say, what do you mean they were the new covenant prophets? Aren't they in old covenant scripture? Like, aren't they in the Old Testament? They were, but they lived in this unique time where the people who thought they were living in the kingdom of God were trying to figure out if the race was over. Because it appeared like all the covenant, like all the old covenants were gone. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah had this ministry to people who were trying to figure out is the, like, is the kingdom race over? Because the kingdom of God, as they understood it, was the nation of Israel living in the land of Israel with the king of Israel and the temple of Israel. And in Jeremiah and Ezekiel's times, all those things had been taken away. The nation of Israel had been divided in a civil war and then it had been deported to Babylon. So nation of Israel was gone. Land of Israel, none of them even lived there. Kings of Israel had been conquered and deposed. Temple of Israel had been torn down. So now the people of Israel are asking this question, is our race of faith over? Because all the things we thought that connected us into the kingdom of God are gone. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel were the guys who came along at the exact same time. Jeremiah prophesying to people in Jerusalem. Ezekiel prophesying to people in Babylon. But same message basically to the same group of people just 500 miles apart. And they were basically saying this. Your race of faith is still going. Because it was never about the nation or the land or the king or the temple. It was always about God and what he was doing in your spirit. So in Jeremiah 31 through 34, we see Jeremiah teach through the new covenant when he's like, okay, nation, land, temple, king. Like those are gone, but God's going to do something new. His spirit's going to do something new. And Ezekiel put it this way. He said, God's literally going to change your heart through his spirit. I mean, all the stuff is gone, but God's going to do something new. And Jesus was quoting from Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. If, if you know your books of the Bible well, you can turn there quick. If not, you can just jot it down on your sermon notes. Here's what Jesus is having a midrash moment with, with Nicodemus that he missed completely. 
Ezekiel tells the Jews, wondering, like, is the race of faith still about our Judaism? He says in verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. Remember what Jesus said? You have to come alive by water and the spirit. Water and the spirit. Well, like he's quoting Ezekiel 36, 25, 26. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove from your heart, I'll remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. The starting line of faith, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah are telling the people of Israel, the starting line of faith has never been the nation and the land and the king and the temple. The starting line of faith of the patriarchs, the Abrahamists and the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the Moses and the Joseph, like the patriarchs of the faith, the Davids, their faith always started with entrusting their hard, broken hearts to God and asking his spirit to be with him. Like Nicodemus was saying, I thought I came alive spiritually and stayed alive spiritually through my own human effort of following all the traditions that we've written down and taught and enforced. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You come alive and you stay alive spiritually by recognizing that your heart is hard and sinful and realizing that you have to put your faith in a God who wants to forgive your sin and change your heart. Like Nicodemus, that's the promise of Ezekiel. You're Israel's teacher. How did you miss that? That's the promise of Ezekiel, but he said more than that, it's the picture of Moses. Look as we keep reading in verses 11 through 15. Leading up to John 3, 16, we just sang about, we should know the whole context. Jesus says very truly, verse 11, I tell you, we speak what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but still you people, remember yellow words on the screen means I'm going to come back and talk about them, underline them, highlight them in your Bible. You people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So this little context, this picture of Moses is going to unpack not only allowing us to see Jesus, but to see us. So let's throw those words up on the screen and let's talk through some of these things that we highlighted. You people, that was the religious leaders of Israel. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, you can learn a little bit more about them on the podcast. The Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel that were saying human tradition and keeping that is what connects you to God and allows you to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus, like you people, that was the spiritual leaders of Israel. He's like, our testimony has been pretty clear. Yes, indeed. I like, I am the savior. Yep. Um, my people have said it. John in his book says like, hey, in the beginning, the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like Jesus is the guy. Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer, when he baptized him was like, hey, Jesus is the guy. And at his baptism, it said heaven opened and God literally said from heaven, he's the guy. Like Jesus, like our testimony is, I'm the guy. And your eyes see it. I mean, you see the earthly signs with your eyes. Like, you saw the water change to wine. You see what I do in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. You're aware that I am doing supernatural things, but you, you refuse to believe that I am the supernatural one because the heavenly things I've teach you, you don't want to embrace. The sin that you've missed in your heart, you don't even want to acknowledge. And listen, listen really closely because this, this is where the whole message pivots one way or another. Jesus was saying, you people have a big problem. And here's your problem. You don't recognize your sin. And watch this. Where there is no recognition of sin, there is no need for a savior. Like if you don't see you, you'll never see him. 
You don't need him. Now, the leaders of Israel, they were looking for God to send them a buddy, to send them a friend, to someone to help with their emotional health. They actually wanted someone to fix their country. That would make it easier on the whole country. Sound familiar? But sinners need a savior. Sinners need a savior. And Jesus said, you've missed that. Sinners need a savior. Just like when Moses lifted up the snake. He's like, that's the picture of the heart you need. Remember Nicodemus when Moses lifted up the snake? Numbers chapter 21 is the context. Moses is leading the people of Israel out of the desert to the promised land. God's been feeding them every day. Something they called manna, their daily bread. It would show up every morning. God been, uh, had been watering them with rocks, uh, water from rocks and streams and springs in the desert. Like God had been giving them supernatural bread and supernatural water. And in Numbers chapter 21, they're like on this journey and they go to Moses and they're like, is there anything else to eat or drink? And they basically said these words, what God has been providing for us is miserable. We don't want it anymore. God's provision of his living water, of this bread of life, is miserable. We reject it. Can we have something else to eat? And Moses said, not really my problem. And God struck a plague against the people of Israel where snakes started coming out of this part of the desert that they were in, inviting people, and people started dying. And as they were dying, the people said, we have sinned. Those were their words. We have sinned by rejecting what God wanted to provide for us, and we're sorry. So God told Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, lift it up, and tell everyone who looks at the bronze serpent and acknowledges their sin that they'll be forgiven and they'll be healed. Jesus said that, by the way, will be a picture of me. Like when I'm lifted up like that and people look at me, not just so they can see me, but they look at me and say, I have sinned, I need you, they, like, they'll be healed. The people of Israel had said, We reject God's provision. We reject his living water. We reject his bread of life. And the people of Nicodemus day were doing the exact same thing. Jesus said, I am the living water. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the religious leaders of Jesus day were saying, we reject that. We would rather be in the kingdom of God based on our own standards. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works. Because as Jesus would say, salvation comes through the son of man, not the traditions of men. It's not how it works. So he said, like Moses did the thing with the snake, the son of man is going to be lifted up like that. So everyone who sees their sin and looks for help in a savior will be saved. That's the type of people that live in the kingdom of God. And salvation will come through the son of man. Why? Because God loves you, but certainly not because God owes you for how you've lived your life. And here we run into the two probably most famous verses in the Bible on understanding the heart of God, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We read that and we're like, I see that. I see you, God. Man, God is love. Yes, he is. God doesn't condemn your right. God gives eternal life. Yes, he does. God saves people. Yep, sure does. We're like, God, I see. We're like Nicodemus. God, I see you, and I'm for that. And God's like, good, I'm glad you see me. But do you see yourself? 
see me, but do you, do you see you? And do you see how we fit together? Because yes, God is love, and yes, God offers eternal life, and yes, God offers not to condemn us for our sin, and yes, God offers us salvation. But only when we see ourselves in need. And if John 3, 16 and 17 are some of the clearest verses in the Bible that show us the heart of God, John 3, 21 may be the clearest verse in the Bible that shows us the heart of ourself. I'm going to work my way through it. Verse 18 through 21, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Lights come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You say, what does that mean? It means this. Salvation into the kingdom of God requires an acknowledgement that the sin I have committed has been committed in the sight of God. He clearly sees me as a sinner, and I step into the light, and I clearly see me as a sinner. That is the very simple gospel message. God sees your sin, you must see your sin, and you must see your need for Jesus. Because you see who you are, a sinner, and what he's offering, salvation. We don't come to Jesus because we want what he gives. We come to Jesus because we need what he's offering. Because he offers us spiritual life in place of spiritual death. Because he offers us spiritual forgiveness in place of spiritual condemnation. That is the starting line of salvation. That is the starting line of life in the kingdom of God. And that's where Nicodemus had to get back to. And that's where you and I are going to have to start if we want to enter, not just see, but enter and live in the kingdom of God. Jesus, maybe Jesus' question today, pretty powerful one. Do you need a Savior? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, when I look at myself, yeah, yeah, I do. And I think Jesus questioned to Kansas City. Hey, Kansas City, you need help? You need a Savior? Six out of ten are saying, yeah, Yeah, I think we do. After the last two years, yeah, I think we do. We're stressed. We're anxious. We're burned out. We're lonely. We're depressed. Kansas City, you need help? Kansas City's saying, yeah. Yeah, I think we do. Which is why don't miss this. The hope of our city is actually the hurt of our city right now. You say, in what way? Only people who need to be rescued are looking for a savior. Only people who are hurting are often looking for help. Only those who have lost hope are really even in the category of people who need hope. And that's what Jesus offers. But listen, folks, they're not going to find it unless we bring them to Jesus or point them to Jesus so he can hold up that spiritual mirror that lets them see him and see them and see him together. told the story Christmas five years ago of a little boy in Virginia by the name of Robert Woods Jr., Nine-year-old boy who was hiking with his dad in the woods, and he kind of ran away from his dad. His dad lost him and could not find him. 
I don't know if he thought he was playing a game of hide-and-go-seek, but he was lost for one day, then two days, then three days, then four days. And as day four rolled into day five, the temperatures in late October in, November, in, in uh, northern Virginia were kind of starting to dip into the 30s, into the upper 20s. And they said, like, if he has to spend one more night alone in the woods, there's no way that he's going to survive this. No food, no water, no covering for the cold that is coming. So they t- sent a team of people out to find him. And thankfully, thankfully on the morning of the fifth day, they found him curled up asleep between the forest he got lost in and kind of a rock quarry. You say, why was it so hard to find this little boy? He was a nonverbal autistic kid who not only did not have the ability to comprehend in his mind because of how his mind was shaped that he was lost, he also had no ability to ask for help. See, he had a little boy running around in the woods who did not know he was lost And even if he did, he would not have had the ability to ask for help. That's a picture of people before Jesus. Most of them aren't even aware that they need him. And if they are, they don't even know how to ask for help. Unless a search and rescue party goes after them. And is specially equipped and trained to see them, to love them, to bring them, to point them in the right direction. They had to train. They brought in autism specialists to train the search and rescue teams to say, if you see him, don't yell at him. Don't approach him. Don't touch him. Here's what you're going to have to do to lead him to safety. And church, like we have to be the same way. In our community, that's hurting, which means there's hope that they might be looking for an answer. We got to figure out how to gently pull people back to safety and point them to Jesus. And then let Jesus do the work that only he can do like he did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you see me. Let me help you see you. Because when you see me and you see you and you see us together, well, that's called salvation. And that helps you live in the kingdom of God. And that helps the kingdom of God live in you. Who do you need to find that's hurting? My challenge for our church this next two weeks, find someone who's hurt and figure out how to offer them hope. And if it's you today, the answer is Jesus. Yes, you got to see him, but you got to see your need for him. Because if you can do that, if you can see that, that is called salvation. Amen. Would you pray with me as we consider what we've learned today? Father, in heaven, you are good. And we are thankful for what we see when we look at you. You are loving. You offer eternal life. You offer us the chance not to have our sins condemned. You offer us salvation. Man, when we look at you, you're so good. But God, help us to see ourselves. Nicodemus saw you. He did not see himself until you helped him. So God, help us to see ourselves in need of a new heart, of a new spirit, of a savior. Help us to see our sin and our dependency upon you and help us as we look at Jesus on the cross like the Israelites looked at a bronze serpent on a pole to find salvation and forgiveness. Let our race of faith start at the starting line of seeing our sin and our Savior and putting those two together. And let us, like Christian said earlier in our welcome time, let us live there every day. Because at the starting line, we remember our sin and our Savior. Those two go together to give us life. Life eternally and life abundantly. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you don't know Jesus today, Or maybe you've seen Jesus, but today you see yourself, you see your sin. Jesus offers salvation. All you have to do is 
confess your sin, acknowledge your need for a Savior, and commit your life to following Him. If you've never done that with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just, from your heart to heaven, tell God, you see Him, you see yourself. You need forgiveness and you want to follow Him. You can pray something like this. You prayed after me. You don't have to pray it out loud, but from your heart to heaven, maybe pray something like this, God. My life has been lived in full vision of you in your heart. I acknowledge my sin before you. I know you see it, and I see it, and I need your forgiveness. Cleanse me from my sin. Send your spirit to change my hard heart into a soft heart. And God, teach me to walk with you and live for you as I live from the starting line of the cross. Thank you for loving me and saving me. I ask you to lead me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, we'll let you know how you can tell us so we can connect with you and begin walking with you on your race of faith. Christians in the room, what has God said to you today? about how you see God, how you see yourself, and how that's been shaping not only how you view your faith, but others in the world. Christians, who do you know that's hurting, that needs hope, that we need to figure out how to gently point to Jesus so they can see him, so he can help them see themselves, so they can find salvation? If you know one of those people, would you pray for him right now? God, we see you, and because we see you, we love you. And God, we see ourselves. And because we see ourselves, we need you. And we actually love you more. So thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing in the room today. Thank you for who you are and what you desire to do on January 30th as we offer hope to hurting. Thank you that Jesus is the answer. Help us to always remember that and to share that when we have opportunity. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Hey, if you're here today and you made a spiritual decision, we would love to know so that we can spend just a moment ministering to you. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's this connection card. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. If today you said yes to Jesus, I see him and I see me and I need salvation, you can fill this out and check a box that says, today I prayed to become a Christian or I recommitted my life to Jesus. If you came with someone who goes to our church, it might be easier for you to give this to them and ask them to go get a resource bag. Whenever someone makes a spiritual decision at our church, we'd love to give them a gift of a t-shirt. This is best day ever. We believe when somebody connects to Jesus for the first time or the most recent time, it's a really good day in their life. And even more than that, we'd love to give you a resource bag of information that just helps you really understand understand what it means to follow Jesus. Little pamphlet that says best day ever. Now what? Like, what do I do now as I walk with Jesus? If you're a first time guest, also take this card to the connection center and give it to them. Remember every family that turns in a first time guest card, we're going to make a $10 donation on your behalf to the Hope Center in inner city, Kansas city. That's mentoring and discipling and teaching young kids in the urban core leadership development. Um, So you being here today, hopefully is a blessing to you, but it'll be a blessing to someone else. And then if you need any spiritual care, another little card in the seat pocket in front of you that just says spiritual care. If you need spiritual care or you know anyone in your life that needs spiritual care that we can pray for, that we can reach out to, please do not hesitate to let us know. We are a place that not only wants to tell people about Jesus, but love them well, like Jesus has loved us. That's our goal. Um, We always close with worship. So let's go ahead and stand here. If you're watching online, hang with us for our final song. We're going to sing a song today that says, let's come to the altar. 
An altar in the Old Testament was basically a place that you met with God. And what we've realized today is the beginning point of meeting with God is realizing He is perfect, we are imperfect, we are sinners, He provides salvation. That's the place where we meet with God, where He changes everything. So as we worship, lean into that truth of who Jesus is, who you are, and what you are together. God, receive our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.